I'll show you a picture this morning, a couple of pictures. This is a picture from the top of a mountain in Israel. It's called Mount Tabor. And uh, off that way on a clear day, you can see the Mediterranean Sea. Beautiful sights from the top of Mount Tabor. It's um, traditionally known as the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, We don't know where that event occurred. We'll be talking about that event this morning. A church was built on top of that mountain many, many centuries ago to commemorate this event called the, the what again? The Transfiguration. Um, what's the event? Why does it matter? That's what we're talking about this morning. Um, <clears throat> first of all, let's just start with that word transfiguration. It's not a word you use every day. It's a fancy word for change or transformation. We'll read a story in just a moment about Peter, James, and John going up a mountain. Some people think it was this mountain, Mount Tabor. Hmm, No way to be certain. But um, they go up a mountain and see Jesus' appearance transformed, changed. So, transfiguration. You'll hear Peter, as we read the story in a moment, say kind of the first thing that comes to his mind. It's not the right thing to say. It's so bad wrong that God interrupts him and says, this is what I want you to hear instead. Thank you very much, Peter. Your turn has ended. (laughs) It's my turn now. Listen for that as uh, we read the story. A few decades later, as Peter is um, preparing to die and preparing the church for the absence of of, of himself and the other apostles, first-generation leaders of the church. He says, listen, listen to what we've said about Jesus. Listen to what we have said when we talked about the Son of God coming to our planet for our redemption. And, and Peter says straight up, we did not make up clever myths when we told you about him. And he goes back to this mountain. He goes back to this moment and he says, listen, because we were there with him on the mountain. We were eyewitnesses of his glory when he was transfigured. We heard the voice that spoke to him from heaven. A couple of reasons that that matters for us this morning. First, it it shows us that Christians in the first century weren't naive. They asked questions like, Are our leaders making up clever myths? (laughs) Did these things really happen? Is that story about the thing on the mountain just a story? Or is it something that occurred? People in the first century were asking that kind of question. Christians may have been wrong about a lot of things over the centuries, but you can't accuse Christians of being naive and not caring about whether our faith is rooted in real events that happened in time and space, a real Savior who came in flesh and blood. When Peter speaks to the church and says, listen, he's reminding us of that. He's also making us curious. Hey, Peter, what happened on that mountain? You talk about this voice that you heard. What did the voice say? We're about to find out. Jim, come read for us. Let's hear what happened on that mountain from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. 
And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to get my water bottle. In the meantime, while I'm doing that, I'm going to um, repeat a phrase that you've heard a lot over the past couple weeks if you've started a new school year. Everybody listen up. Hey, listen up. Right? It's the first round of practices of all kinds for sports and clubs and activities. And uh, even if you walk down the hall in the afternoon when the chess club from in-town school is meeting, there are like 50 kids in the chess club. So somebody's got to stand on the chair and scream, everybody, listen up. Now, when that happens... The response is obvious. We're meant to listen. But there's an implication that goes a little deeper. Um, You're not listening. (laughs) If you were, I wouldn't have to stand on the chair and yell at you. If you were, I wouldn't have to blow the whistle and get your your attention. Um, Listening doesn't always come easy. There are a thousand things you'd rather be doing than listening to your coach. There are a thousand conversations you'd rather be having than um, the one your teacher wants you to listen to. If listening came naturally, you'd already be doing it and nobody would have to tell you. So what do we learn when we read that God interrupts Peter? Did you catch the funny moment, right? Peter is saying, well, um, I kind of don't understand what's going on here, but it is good, Lord, that we are here. Do you want me to make three tents? Uh, One for you and one... For each of our distinguished guests, Moses and Elijah, and God interrupts. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, Listen, everybody listen up. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The response is obvious. We're meant to believe that Jesus is the son of God. We're meant to believe that God loves his son. We're meant to believe that God is well-pleased, or another way to translate that phrase, delighted with his son. And we're meant to listen to him. But the implication is, listening to Jesus doesn't always come naturally. 
if God has to interrupt an apostle to say, listen to him. The implication is listening won't come easily, even to people who are already following Jesus. Peter and James and John are the only ones on the mountain when the voice speaks. You guys aren't as good at listening to Jesus as you think. Listen to him. There are people at the bottom of the mountain who aren't as good at listening to Jesus as they think. Tell them to listen to him. Listening to Jesus is hard sometimes. Today I want us to explore some of the reasons that make it hard and to see what, what is it about Jesus that's so good that would make us want to do this hard thing, that would make us want to listen to him instead of doing the thousand other things that we might rather do. Here's the first reason. It's that Jesus reveals God's truth to us. Did you know that um, you can go online and find lists of deep questions? Like just Google deep questions sometime. You're going to get this list. Here's 275 questions you can ask. Now, nearly every one of these lists is designed for going on a date with someone. Right? And it's like deep questions so that you can have these deep conversations with someone as you're getting to know them. Um, I found one list of questions, 101 deep questions you can ask yourself. These aren't meant for interrogating the date. These aren't meant for screening candidates for romance, right? These, these are for us. Side note, it's probably easier to write a list of 101 deep questions than 101 deep answers. But here are a few highlights. What do you really want to do, but you haven't done it yet? Why? What's stopping you? Next question, are you afraid to fail? Why? What would happen if you stopped worrying? If you were to die today, would you have any regrets? I told you they're deep questions. Do you think that humans have a purpose on earth as a species? And as you get closer to the end of the list, I, this one struck me. Do you have to understand everything to know that it's true? Those are some of the questions that we ask ourselves or should be asking ourselves. If we're honest, we, we want to know <laughs> answers to questions like that. What if, what if there's no way to know the answers to the deepest questions that we have? What if we're good at asking them, but we're no good at finding it out? That's why it matters that God exists and that the God who exists wants us to know the truth. He wants us to know the truth about life. He wants us to know the truth about the world. He wants us to know the truth about ourselves. He wants us to know the truth about him. And he wants us to know this so badly that he not only gives us written words in Scripture, he sends us himself, the, the living word, Jesus, in our flesh and blood 
to make God's truth known to us. Jesus reveals true answers to our deepest questions. This is one of the reasons we ought to want to listen to it. Why is that hard to do? Here's one reason it's hard to do. Jesus said hard things. When we listen to him and he speaks truth to us, he says some things that are difficult to hear. The answers he gives to our deepest questions can be really hard. The disciples come to him in Matthew chapter 18 with a question. Hey, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What is true greatness like? And which of us best embodies it? And you know what Jesus' answer is? His answer has nothing to do with greatness. His answer is about humility. Jesus invites a little child to stand among them and says, Learn from her. Learn from him. That's not what we wanted to hear, Jesus. We wanted to have a conversation about greatness. I wanted to know if I'm greater than Peter, James, and John. And Jesus is like, wrong question. I want you to learn humility. You want me to give you a label. (laughs) That's a hard answer, Jesus. That's not the one we wanted. How about this question? How should we deal with temptation when it comes along? Jesus has something to say about that. What does he say in Matthew chapter 18? If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better to enter life crippled than with two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Jesus, that's hard. We didn't, we didn't, want, we didn't really want to hear you say that. We wanted you to give us kind of a comfortable level of sin management plan so that when we're tempted to do evil things with our hands, go evil places with our feet, see evil sights, do nothing to stop them or reverse their injustice, can't we just let it pass? Jesus was like, no, you got to deal with it severely. Okay, y'all need to know this. One day I was teaching Greek. We were talking about this. We were talking about how this is a metaphor. It's hyperbole. Jesus doesn't literally mean pull your eye out. The guy on the front of the class goes, pulls his eye out. (laughs) He has a glass eye. I didn't know it. It's the first day of class. Nobody in the class knew it. Nobody else in the class saw it. It was gross. Also, I'll never forget it. Jesus says hard things. It's easier to pull your glass eye out and put it back in than to deal with temptation. How many times do I have to forgive somebody? This is Peter asking him in Matthew 18, verse 21. Jesus, here's my hard question. How often will my brother sin against me and I will forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus says, that's a good start. 77 times. One reason it's hard to listen to Jesus is he says hard things. He says some things that we're not prepared for. That's one of the ways we know he's speaking truth, right? Jesus reveals God's truth to us. If Jesus gave us easy answers, we would start to think they don't fit the world we live in. This is not an easy answer world. This is a complicated world. 
Human beings are complicated people dealing with temptation and forgiveness. There shouldn't be an easy answer to that. It shouldn't be something dead obvious that I could have figured out on my own. Otherwise, why do I need Jesus to make this truth known to me? It makes sense that much of what he says is hard. So get used to listening to Jesus. If, if you're one of his disciples, if you've put your trust in him, living in this place of it's a tension between comfort and challenge. If, if you aren't a follower of Jesus yet, always the yet, the invitation always stands. And you're beginning to wonder what it would be like to listen to him. You'll feel this tension too. A tension between comfort and challenge. Comfort on the one hand, we are not alone. Right? There, there, there are answers to hard questions. We're not left to, to raise the big question and just live this life of confusion. God hasn't left us alone. Jesus makes truth known to us. On the other hand, it's not easy. There's comfort because we're not alone in it. Challenge because what Jesus has to say to us will not always be easy. Listen to him. He gives true answers. And this makes us want to listen, even if what he says to us is hard. We see also that Jesus shares his glory with us. On this mountain, something happens. Jesus' appearance is transformed. And the description of it, it matches a lot of the descriptions of events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus later in the gospel story. Jesus has just mentioned to the apostle Peter that he is going to die and be resurrected. Back in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has spoken about himself. And he says that he must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus has already mentioned this, this resurrection glory that's coming when the power of death over him is defeated, when his body is resurrected, so filled with the goodness and glory of the Holy Spirit that, that Jesus' new body can never die again, can never be injured, can never be harmed. That's resurrection. It's this unending life. It's this kind of infinite supply of life that will last forever. And the joy that would come with having that kind of life, not just biologically, but in every way, every dimension, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Everything is as it's meant to be forever, filled up to the brim with love and joy and goodness and life. And light is a symbol for that in the scriptures. And so Jesus is getting from his father on this mountain a kind of foretaste of that resurrection glory and life that will be his when his story goes through the cross and to the empty tomb. 
It's described in Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. Just listen to the imagery again. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Mark's gospel says, it's kind of interesting, whiter than anyone on earth could bleach them. Um, You're getting a glimpse of the glory that Jesus is headed toward. Why is it hard to listen to what Jesus says about glory? Here's the reason. You and I carry with us a false assumption. Sons don't suffer. That if someone is truly beloved, then they, <clears throat> they shouldn't ever be rejected. That is the end of the story. Jesus is the Son of God. And after his resurrection, he doesn't suffer anymore. But you hear this assumption in words that Peter spoke to Jesus. About a week before they went up on the mountain, you, Matthew 17, 1, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them on the high mountain by themselves. The disciples have been having another conversation with Jesus. Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And they gave all kinds of answers. And uh, Jesus then says, yeah, but what about y'all? I don't know that Jesus used the word y'all. This wasn't Southern Hebrew. But what about you? And Peter replies, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said, good for you, Peter. God has blessed you. You didn't figure this out on your own. My Father in heaven revealed it to you. And, uh, and then Jesus said, now let me tell you a little bit more about how this is going to work out. I am going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to be raised on the third day. And Matthew says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, no way, Lord, this will never happen to you. Sons don't suffer. I know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Therefore, I know you cannot go to Jerusalem and be rejected and killed because sons don't suffer. If God really loves somebody, nothing hard will come into their life. It's hard to listen to Jesus talk about glory because the kind of glory Jesus talks about comes after the cross. He says, there's glory ahead. I will be raised. My story will not end in death. But first I will be rejected and be killed. Do you feel that? You'll feel it this week, won't you? You feel it every week. That moment when the hard thing happens and you say to yourself, I knew it. I knew God wasn't real. Because if he was, I would not be going through this right now. I knew that everything God said was a lie because my children wouldn't be hurting the way they are right now if he was real. Do you understand that Jesus faced that same crisis? Do you know why his father takes him up this mountain? And says, 
You are my beloved son. I delight in you. I want people to listen to you when you say that first you have to go through suffering and then you will enter glory. And Jesus, I know that you are about to walk down this mountain on the way to the cross. And there are going to be moments when you think to yourself, you as my son think the father cannot love me because sons don't suffer. And so just as the Father prepared Jesus for his ministry, when Jesus was baptized, you remember the Spirit comes down and a voice comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved Son. Now three years later, Jesus is preparing to go to Jerusalem and face the cross, and the Father is saying, you need it again. You need that reminder again. Don't be afraid to say you need that reminder. If Jesus needed that reminder, of course you and I do. And of course there are going to be moments when we think, sons don't suffer. The, the father is not my father. Because if he were, my life would not be this hard in this moment. Jesus shares his glory with us. He goes through the cross. He goes to the empty tomb. And when the Spirit who descended on him at his baptism is finished with his work, Jesus will enjoy resurrection glory and he won't keep it for himself. He will share it with all who trust him. This is behind Peter's weird comment. Hey, Jesus, it's good for us to be here. Do we really have to go back down the mountain? Can't we just stay here? I'll, I'll build a tent because I don't want to have to go back down the mountain. If I can get a taste of this, can I just stay here? And Jesus says, we have to go back down the mountain. Don't tell anybody what you saw on the mountain, because if you do, they will begin to think that the rest of my life is going to just be about glory. And they won't understand that I have to go to the cross first. And then comes the glory. So you give me time to teach them that. Can we mention one other reason that it's hard to listen to Jesus? We have to dig a little deeper to find this one. It has to do with hopelessness, with despair. Not just a generic life has gotten so hard right now that I think God doesn't really love me, but a much more specific sense of God has forgotten all of us and I just want to die. The Old Testament says there are two people 
who met with God on Mount Sinai. One was Elijah. One was Moses. Jesus is not on Mount Sinai. But if you asked an Old Testament reader, you ever heard about somebody going up a mountain and seeing God's glory and their face begins to shine? They would say, yeah, that's Moses in Exodus chapter 34. You ever heard, heard about somebody seeing God's glory on a mountain? Yeah, we know two stories like that. Moses and Elijah, 1 Kings 19, Exodus 34. What else do those stories have in common? God's people had just built a golden calf and worshipped it while Moses was on the mountain receiving God's commandments. Moses goes back up the mountain to see God's glory. And the question is, have we messed up so bad that you're going to forget us completely. Elijah's asking the same question. God's people have totally forgotten him a few centuries after Moses. They, they have gone out of their minds worshiping other gods and goddesses. Elijah has just demonstrated in power that God is the only true God. Read the story in 1 Kings 17, 18. Read the setup. And then somebody says, we now want to kill Elijah. The queen has set a death penalty on Elijah's head, and Elijah goes to the mountain and says, basically, God, I'm done with it. Everybody's forgotten you. I'm the only one who's still faithful, and now I'm going to be killed. Have you forgotten us? Jesus is the answer to that question. Jesus is the one who comes down the mountain and goes to the cross. And he goes to the empty tomb so that we know the answer. You will never mess up so bad that God forgets you. You will never be abandoned by the Father who said, this is my beloved son in whom I delight. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus when he says, Matthew chapter 13, verse 43. In the end, I'm going to come again. I'm going to purge every trace of evil from my father's good world. And then, Jesus says, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He doesn't just say, my Father, your Father. I'm going down the mountain so that God can be your Father. I am going down the mountain so that the God who says, this is my beloved son, can say of you, my beloved sons and daughters, I am going down the mountain to face rejection so that your father can say of you, 
these are my children in whom I delight. You will hear a lot of voices this week telling you that you will never be enough. Don't believe me? Check out Instagram. Do you walk away feeling like you're enough? (laughs) You'll never be enough. Don't listen to those voices. Listen to Jesus. He says, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Your heart will say this week, but I know the truth about who I am. Nobody else knows, but I know. Don't listen to your voice. This is my beloved son, the father says, in whom I delight. Listen to him.